Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, this is John Katsimatidis. We are pitch hitting today. Uh, Mr. Uh, Bo Schnertley is on vacation. And Rudy uh, Giuliani, the mayor, has done the first half hour. We're doing the... Uh, second half hour. But you know what? Both. They said that this team is A+, plus, that they got to bring it back. That's what yeah, they said. But, but, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh deserves a vacation. How about me? I deserve a vacation, too. Uh, well, what yeah. do you think, Judge? Should we give him a vacation? He's going to have to talk to the boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Ed? boss doesn't take vacations. Gov, what do you think, Governor Patterson? All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Governor's afraid to answer. Uh, we got uh, in the studio today, we have I'll uh, take the Judge uh, Richard Weisberg, a Democrat. Fifth. We have uh, Ed Ed. Cox, a a ten well ten years now another term as uh, New York State Chairman, President a Republican, for. and Governor David Patterson. So you got uh, on a Friday on in the middle of the summer, you got two Democrats, one Republican working. Oh, that's even odds. Even odds. Can you handle it? I think so. Okay. <laughs> Governor, it's good to see you. Thank you for being here today. It's great to see you, and, John. Uh, me and. Uh, Co-host, Rita yep. Cosby. Yep. And uh, who do we have on today? Well, I mean, uh, there's so many things going on. We have so much news. And uh, before we bring in Mark Morgan, um, Ed, you had a really interesting point because the big story everybody's talking about is the cocaine at the White House. Just a few minutes ago, Jake Sullivan, you know, the National Security Council advisor, came out and gave yet another version of where the co- – it's like the Where's Waldo, Where's right? Waldo? Where's Waldo? <laughs> uh, who are you going to believe, so, Jake Sullivan, or are you going to believe the EMS dispatcher? Well, that's why I want to have you walk us through, because the latest version is that, well, even if it was near the Situation Room, the Situation Room is under construction. They, they can't to, get their story. They're trying to get it as far as away from the personal quarters as they can. Why would the they library, do that, Ed? The library, why would they even think about that? The library that? is one place, if you're on the third floor, where the children would be, where the, the grown-up children it would be, you can go right down the elevator and go into that library, and there's only one library at the White House, and that's that room that really is connected very easily with the third floor. You know, it's like Clue. Well, I don't know it's how like you Clue. Can, I don't know how you can say that, Mr. Cox. Have you ever been to the White House? <laughs> <laughs> I have used that library for interviews and things like that. It's a, it's a, and it's a, it's a very Ed, Ed grew place, up in that not, White House. Yeah, that's why he's a pro. <laughs> yeah, he's a pro. And, and in the case story, nobody though, know, In case nobody knows, Ed Cox married to Tricia Nixon. They got married at the White House. Uh, 
in 19, 1971, during when uh, President Nixon was president. Yep. And uh, the best I day of your life, right? Seen you so right. Right. Oh, you bet. All right. Absolutely. Trisha's listening. Did my job. Better. Showed up properly dressed. <laughs> Ed, when you uh, when you got married that day, did you bring cocaine into the White House? What's that? Uh, uh, no, it was fairy dust. It wasn't cocaine. It was uh, rice. You know, after you get no, no, married. No, no, no. It was a happy enough day. Didn't eat cocaine. <laughs> well, you know what? This has been crazy that it has taken so long. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby, we have Mark Morgan. He is the former acting commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, also longtime FBI agent, friend of Katz and Cosby. Um, you know, Mark, uh, you believe that they should have been able to resolve this within what, like 30 minutes, that this should have been a quickie. I mean, this has been like, uh, I, I call it like clue, Mr. You know, Green in the billiard room with a candlestick. And then they changed the story from where they started at the EMS. And now they, they can't get their story straight. Yeah, that's exactly right, Rita. Look, I said 30 minutes. I'm being a little bit facetious. But the point is, this is a relatively straightforward investigation. You've got the United States Secret Service that's being helped by the FBI. These these are two organizations that are the best in the world at what they do. They they handle sophisticated, long-term, complex criminal investigations spanning multiple continents every single day. I think that they can handle and try to figure out who dropped off a bag of cocaine in a highly controlled, narrowly focused access point. Look, I, I wasn't married in the White House, but as the commissioner, I've been to the White House multiple times. That entrance is an entrance that I used all the time. It's literally about eight, 10 feet around the corner from the situation room. It's when they say highly trafficked area, it's a red herring. Because it's not like it's Walmart after the day of Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> Where you don't want to go after Thanksgiving. It's crazy. That's that right. You don't want to go the morning of Thanksgiving. But, no. they're, but Mark, but, but I mean, they're, try, they're trying to move it away from the library where the yep, yep. dispatcher said EMS found cocaine in the library. See, Ed's point, Ed, you bring up a great point that a lot of people are not talking about, Mark, that – um, the original report that came out said, you know, this it is, was in the library. It's EMS. It was ambulance e- coming. I mean, they were. It was well, hazmat. Clearly, someone is cleaning it up. Found it, and of course, they see this white dust. They call EMS. EMS comes, and EMS tells the dispatcher. Dispatcher says EMS found cocaine in the library. So there's an official report from EMS to, to Ed's the, point. This is a professional. It's a very right. straightforward people saying, "Hey, we're in the library," and though that library is. It's on the south entrance, but there's a little elevator there. It goes right up to the third floor, second floor where the family lives, third floor where the uh, younger people would be, as opposed to as opposed to Jill and Joe Biden on the second floor. And, and it's that's that it's connected really with the family quarters. They want to get it as far as away from the family quarters as they can. That's why it's moving around. But the basic thing, it was in the library. And, and, and here's the thing, the, the fact that they are, are hiding the ball, the fact that the White House press secretary will not be straightforward with the questions or provide whoever in the Secret Service that would be a, able to answer the questions, they're continuing to go with these anonymous sources, right? So it's being bounced all over the place. Uh, some of, I think it's all intentional to try to downplay it, to make it seem like, oh, this is such a difficult case. It's a whodunit. We're never going to be able to figure it out. It's all done anonymous. It's all to, again, as, as I think everybody agrees, is to hide the ball 
distract us, not a big deal. But I'm telling you, the Secret Service, here's what you have to do. Is it's because we've been there, right? So the, the the doors you go through where they're saying now in, in the west entrance, you go through there. You have to make a concentrated effort to deviate. And think about this for a second. So you've got your cell phone. I take it out like I do. I've got my Apple Watch. Oh, if I'm running out, I got to take that. Oh, here's my bag of cocaine. I better put that in there too. I mean, like this, <laughs> I mean it's, it's it's ridiculous to think about. But here's the serious question that I have. So that entrance that, that it's utilized, again, it's not for general tourists, it's not for the general traffic, it's very controlled access. Let's say there's 100 people, though, that use that entrance. That's the same entrance that, that potentially the vice president could use. It's the entrance that cabinet-level officials go, VIPs go in, the whole nine yards. So my question is, is the White House, if the Secret Service determines that, that the vice president used that entrance, that, that the DHS Secretary Mayorkas used that entrance, for example, are they going to allow the Secret Service to interview the vice president and the secretary and conduct a polygraph that they need? No, I, no, that entrance would not be used by the vice president. But the vice president is already in the West Wing, and they would go through the, the West entrance to the West Wing, which connects the – now they call it the Eisenhower office building, the old EOB. But, but, that's, but that's, what the, that's where this entrance is, though. The, the entrance they're oh, saying the, now. The, that was found in that's what they're talking about from. now, but yes. the library is connected right. with the, the south entrance. You're talking about is, the original. Mark is talking about the well, second version. Yeah, <laughs> I believe the original version because those were the uh, straightforward people, the dispatcher me, and EMS. Let me ask a straightforward but, question. But, but there, why of, why would they be playing this game? What's the purpose and motivation for playing this game? That's what I to want to get know. it away from the family quarters. And, and, what, and, that, that, and what does that mean? And that, uh, well, you know, you're on your honor. Who are the people who are not searched when they're going in? Exactly. The, the family. family members. Thank right. you. Wow. Okay. I uh, Governor, my case. Governor yeah. Patterson. Your Honor. <clears throat> Governor. I don't think they're playing a game. Oh. I think that it is a level of incompetence because. Oh, no. They can't be that stupid. Honestly, uh, they can't be that incompetent. Wait they're a second. I want to hear the, I wanna hear the governor. Go ahead. Make your case, Governor. <laughs> I'm it, defending them. <laughs> whenever there is bad news, what you want to do is to put out as much of the story as you can to try to make sure that there's no follow-up. This is where they were incompetent because they put out a story that they apparently had not checked or that they knew wasn't true. See, I, I, I think I think there's a different take. I, what I've learned is one of the best ways to make something go away is to provide intentional disinformation, deny all and make counter accusations. Right. So that that's what I see this administration doing. I see it's been a systematic release of, quote, anonymous information that, that that is just one story after another. It's all discombobulated. We're doing it right now. We're talking about, well, did it come here? Did it come here? And, and it's all distracting. I think it's done intentionally. I, I don't think it was done from competence. And I also, again, I, I really want to know, I want to hear from the Secret Service. The American people should hear from the Secret Service. I want to hear from the director of the Secret Service that says, yes, the, the White House has allowed us to interview every single person that we need to interview, including all the way up to, to cabinet level officials who we believe had access to wherever the drugs were found. That's Fair enough. Like I think I think Mr. Morgan has it exactly right. In fact, Chairman Comer and Senator yep. Cotton have asked for that as well. Yeah, they're and now that, demanding okay. an investigation. And I also think, and I think Mr. Morgan has exactly right. This is to use a term favored by the by the Democrats. This is all about disinformation. This is to try to confuse the issue because they have a playbook. 
And this playbook has been used many times before. But also, Judge, you hit it on the head yesterday. And by the way, I played it on my show last night. I played you. I played your clip. I, I, do I, I get a royalty? To, yeah, I, I wanted to go to your head. Okay. Um, but, but you know what? You had a great point because if, and again, we don't know whose it is, but if it turns out to be Hunter, that could hurt the plea deal. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Because there are a lot of reasons not to take the plea deal in the first instance. Because a lot of things about the investigation and the deal that was made are questionable. But he got a deal on a felony to do a diversion program. And if he blew that up, if in fact it was his cocaine, that would blow up the ability to take that deal. The judge would be very hard pressed to allow Hunter to take that deal. What a Mark, point. I would dif- Mark, I would differ with you about the Secret Service. The job of the Secret Service is to protect the family. And that protection can go a little bit beyond just physical protection, but protect them from other things like embarrassment, et cetera, because they protect. And so I'm not sure that they're the people to do the investigation here. I would say maybe some basic FBI people, not from headquarters, ought to come in and take a look. Fingerprints or other things. Yeah, DNA. My my understanding, though, is the Secret Service. So typically like this, the FBI would be assisting. Secret Service would be the lead. Again, I've been there. The Secret Service would be, quote, the lead investigative agency. But the FBI would, especially like you mentioned, on the forensic side, by taking that evidence, seeing what type of forensic evidence is is left on on the back. I see that as a conflict of interest in a lot of ways, as Ed is saying that they have a duty sometimes to protect the first family where every first family's had this problem, no, something happens, but, you don't want anyone to know about it. No, no, but, no, you get protection for no, troopers, no, so you understand no, no, that you no, know, comes, they get close to the family. Not when it comes to a crime. Not, not when it comes to a crime. Uh, I, 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 have to, I have to push back a little bit. I, I don't know a Secret Service agent, a, 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 one Secret Service agent that would allow a crime to be committed uh, for, for, some, for protecting... A, but now a you're assuming <clears throat> that they know who committed the crime. They no, have to. Well, There's the most surveilled place in the world. Well, wait a second. There is. A, let's crime. be clear. There is a crime. The question is who perpetrated it. But right. you know what's interesting? Correct. And this is what really raised my antennas, you guys. When Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, was asked about this on day one, they said, well, whoever it turns out to be, you're clearly going to prosecute. You're going to go full force. The answer is yes. It's an illegal drug in the White House. We can't have this in the White House. Whoever it is, we'll hold them accountable. She dodged and weaved like she was playing she like. She said it was a hypothetical. Yeah, no, no. She said, "I'm not sure. We can't really say that yet." <laughs> and, oh, I mean, and, and why Rita, is that? That's an this. easy one. And but Rita, we'll that's 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 exactly where I started with this. That that was such a a poor judgment on her part. That it, it was the beginning of a whole lot of problems they're going to have that they wouldn't have had if they had had a meeting and figured out what they wanted to say. Or the beginning of oh, a cover-up. Or the beginning of a cover-up. Judge well, Weinberg? I, I want to hear Mr. Morgan's assessment of this. Yeah. So so, so we, we talked about Hunter and, and what that would do to Hunter, and that would be embarrassing, too. But here's another thing, too, and I know, hey, we can get some laughs out of this, and, and I get it. That's appropriate. But at the end of the day, this is, this is, this is actually serious. And, and, and hopefully this will make sense. But if you have a, a, a senior official, you know, position that, like, for example, I held as, as the, the Commissioner of Customs and Border Protection of an of a agency that's 63,000 employees that was charged with, you know, protecting our nation's border, or you have a cabinet-level official that literally is making decisions uh, uh, that impact our entire nation, if that individual, he or she, is an active drug addict, one that is so out of control that not only do they take cocaine to the White House, but then under what I think they're probably, whoever did it was under the influence of the time, actually 
takes that and secretes it in the cubby in the White House, that's a serious issue. That, that's a serious blow to this administration. I think that transcends way beyond embarrassment for this administration. Um, and so I, I think that um, I, I, I think it's very possible that just like the leak of the Secret Service or Roe v. Wade, we're, we're not going to find out because they're not going to let the agencies actually do the job they should to be able to find out who did this. Well, bravo. Please, uh, I'm glad that you're at least keeping the heat on. And this this like stinks. I mean, there's something really fishy about this. All the changing in Ed from the beginning story to the other story. It's crazy. It's like, you know, it, it, it makes, uh, again, a Jim Clancy novel look up boring. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, the family, nobody, no Secret Service guy is going to check the family. And it happens. And, um, and, and I don't know, somebody else had said that uh, of all the people, have you known of all the people that come through the White House, they check for guns, they check for knives. Does anybody go through anybody's pockets to check for cocaine? They should. No, but they don't. Yeah, they should. Well, you know no, why? No, how can they do? You can't do it. You can't operate. Actually, well, no. The reason I say, John, because if it was, if the powder was something else, that's why it's really serious exactly. too. I mean, obviously, yeah, exactly. you know, what if it was anthrax so, or so something? So well, the, the Secret Service evacuated the the, the West Wing uh, of the White House because they didn't know what the substance yeah, was. Yeah, that, that was the reason. Not, if they knew it was cocaine, they wouldn't have evacuated. Then they just Correct. would have gone to the other floor and returned yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's let's move on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Mark Morgan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Return return to sender. Yeah, return to sender. And by the way, uh, address unknown. And Mark, of course, was head of Customs and Border Protection. And there's a big story out that Mayor Eric Adams of New York is looking to house migrants in empty New York public schools over the summer. Back to the schools again. Uh, joining us now is New York City Councilman Joe Borelli. Joe, great to have you here on the show. Rita, John, everyone, thanks for having me. What's your reaction? I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, every time it just shows how bad the migrant situation is in New York and how much of a of an overburden and pull it is on the city that we just don't have the resources. Look, I mean, this is going to go over as much of a lead balloon as it did the last time these ideas were floated. You know, even for uh, what we could agree is a liberal, progressive city. I mean, people have their limits. And we saw from last time this was proposed that this is where, you know, people of all stripes and colors just simply won't cross. This is a Rubicon they don't want to get into. Um, At the very least, public schools are one of the few public institutions that we all sort of want to believe in and want to make sure they're there for our kids. And I just can't buy the, the, the math logic. If we're seeing five, 10,000 additional migrants every month, how could this be a temporary thing? And if it is a temporary thing, what are you going to do with the people that you put in these buildings when school starts again, you know, right after Labor Day? It doesn't make any sense. It's only eight weeks away for school. Yeah, and by the way, and by the way, Mr. Borelli, it's Judge Richard Weber. And these people come in, they're not tested for, for disease. So what happens if they have a communicable disease and they're hanging out in the school, the schools? Well, they, they could, they could disease, they could be criminals, they could be pedophiles. Look, I, I'll say probably most of them aren't, but all you need is one. All you need is one problematic person to, to, to ruin with a bunch of apples. Uh, and that's what we're doing. Uh, I have kind of a cynical take on all this. Part of me thinks that that since the administration is in court trying to undo the the, the right to shelter law or at least weaken it, part of me thinks that that them doing this might be trying to get more public support in in finding eventually the off ramp for this migrant crisis. 
because right now they don't have an exit ramp. Uh, well, they don't have an exit strategy. Yeah, actually, there is one. Close and, the and border. It, yeah, close <laughs> the border. That's the exit strategy. Well, of, of course, of course. That is the solution we hope for. But if you ask Eric Adams, as, as sort of a Michael Che's uh, reporter asked him uh, over the weekend, or rather last week, uh, they said, what is the, what is the, the, the plan to end this? Uh, and they just didn't have one. I mean, we're all hoping and praying that Biden does something like close the border. But uh, as long as he's in the White House, I don't think that's going to happen. Governor Patterson. Uh, Councilman Borelli, I totally understand what you're saying. So, for instance, if the migrants are there for July and August, when they come back in September, then that would almost be like a new migration at double the rate that it was uh, before it even started back here in July. But I, I think one of the reasons Mayor Adams is trying things like this is just to demonstrate that that they're trying to do something, even if they are in the end kicking the can down the road. Right. And, and that's why I said a, a cynical part of me uh, it, it believes that he's trying to bring this crisis to a head sooner rather than later, uh, because right now, uh, as the law stands and why they're in court is basically because the, the, the Court of Appeals of New York basically said, we have to take care of these people at a certain standard in perpetuity. And and what does that mean? Does that mean we have to take care of 100,000? Does that mean we have to take care of a million? Are we to be the world's refugee camp? Well, if you read the decision, maybe. We need that We need that change. I think Mr. Morelli is absolutely correct. That has to be changed because we just can't be the homemaker for the whole world. And. And the country can't do it, and certainly New York City can't do it. And it's costing New York City, uh, Joe, and maybe the numbers have changed, but the last number I saw, it was $8 million a day of taxpayer money, right? Correct. $8 million a day. So to, to give people a comparable, um, that's more than the FDNY, right? We have uh, 10,000 firefighters, five or 6,000 EMTs, big red trucks going all over this city, 300 firehouses. Migrants cost more per day than the entire FDNY. And... They almost cost more per day than the entire FDNY and the Department of Sanitation. So this is a real agency, a real problem. Uh, and th- the budget number came out last week. There was $1.6 billion that was unaccounted for uh, in the sense that that was what we had to spend on the migrants. Between whatever the federal government gave us, whatever pittance the state government gave us, the balance came to $1.6 billion. Wow. Well, uh, New York City Councilman Joe Borelli, keep fighting the good fight. It is so overwhelming. The thought, as John just pointed out, there's only eight weeks. Uh, what are they going to keep them in there afterwards said, if I they mean, move them in? We wow. Have, we and then they have 30,000 beds on Rikers Island. All you do is put fresh beds in there and, and uh, fresh air conditioning. And I agree with you, John. Food. That's the way to go. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that, that's common sense. Yeah. <laughs> Take off the jail doors and, and you know, look. We, we promised food and shelter. We didn't promise, what did we say? A rose, a rose garden. garden. A rose garden. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Uh, stay with us, everybody, on Cats and Cosby. Thank you, Joe Borelli. We really appreciate it. And coming up after the break. Thank you, Joe. We have former National Security Advisor Keith Kellogg, U.S. reversing course, sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. Very controversial. That's coming up. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. Big headline just breaking a little bit ago uh, that the United States is agreeing to send cluster munitions to Ukraine. And these are ones that have been banned in a number of locations because it could obviously spread and affect civilians. You can't pinpoint 
Um, also, by the way, Jen Psaki, a former White House press secretary, said at one point when she was asked about Russia using them, she said it is a war crime. Uh, but the U.S. making a big distinction today, and this is making tons of headlines. Joining us now is Keith Kellogg, General Keith Kellogg, former National Security Advisor to then Vice President Pence and also in the National Security Department, also for President Trump, of course, at the same time. Uh, General Kellogg, your take on this and why you think it's also significant. Um, is this also a sign that just uh, things just have to up uh, given where we are in the war, too? Yeah, well, Rita, thanks for having me today. appreciate it. Yeah, when you look at what they're going to be, when they say cluster munitions, the term in the military is DPICM, which is dual purpose improved conventional munitions. And what it is is each round that they fire has about 80 bomblets in it. And, and they spread a minefield out. It's the anti-personnel and anti-armor. It's an, an area weapon. And the reason I think they're doing this now, even though Zelensky and Zeluzny, who's the, the general in charge of the, the operations for Ukraine, they, they've started to realize that they're kind of running out of ammunition. And you get about a five-to-one ratio compared to conventional munitions, and you can deny an area. And it's also good for displacing entrenched soldiers like the Russians are in trench lines or in, in bunkers out there. There's a concern on using them, which is, is clear, because there's a UXO rate, which is unexplained, unexploded ordnance, and some of them go up to 14 to 15 percent uh, of the DPICM munitions. And so what happens is once you c- cross an area that you've actually shot DPICM into, you have to clear that area. We used them in the first Gulf War, we the United States, and we had some American soldiers were were hurt, were killed or wounded because we didn't clear the areas as we should have. And we actually wanted to keep our handle on them. We were to use them in the, uh, Korean, in the Korean War if the North Koreans came south. It all depends how you use it. But it, it's clear to me that the, the fight the Ukrainians are fighting right now compared to the Russians right now, it's an attrition-type fight. They need all the advantages they can get, and the, the DPICM will give them that advantage. Let but, me ask you, uh, General, you know, I wanted to ask you, um, General Kellogg, about the fact that we're still drip, drip, drip on all this other stuff. Um, like the F-16s, I just heard today, it's at least several months away. I mean, uh, what does this say sort of just about the execution of the war by the Biden administration? Yeah, you know, Rita, I, I think if I had a, to do it again about six months ago, I'd write a book called War for Dummies and give it to the White House because they're not prosecuting the war that you should be the way it should be fought. Look, wars are brutal anyway. They're, they're not, you know, people get killed, obviously, soldiers, civilians as well. But you have to fight it to the full extent possible. Once you get into a fight, you must fight to win. If you don't fight to win, then don't get involved in the first place. And whether we like it or not, Rita, we are a proxy to this war, and, and we put our money behind the Ukrainians to fight it. So give them the ability, give them the attack missiles, or give them the A-10 Warthog, give them the, the, uh, the F-16, give them the Abrams tanks, the things they need to culminate the fight, because the Russians did invade. And, and to me, kicking them out of there is a good idea, because to, uh, I don't care if it's Moldova or Ukraine, being able to defeat a strategic adversary, read the Russians, is a good thing for us because then finally it's going to allow us to pivot to China. Right now we've been involved in, in the, the Middle East for the last 20 years. Then we get involved in Ukraine, and we keep forgetting about the growing threat that we face from China, both uh, economically, militarily, diplomatically. General, we see ha- what they're doing to us, and we just haven't uh, responded. Having heard the Secretary stand in on the record talk at the Council on Foreign Relations, 
I'm convinced that this administration is not fighting to win. They're fighting to end up with negotiations. That's where they are. But that's not Otherwise, the way to fight. Otherwise, they'd be uh, proving the uh, attack and, it and the, and it wasn't and the, the long way to distance fight. things that they need, in, that the, uh, the Ukrainians need in order to win. And Governor Patterson, what were you and saying? And it wasn't the way to fight in Vietnam, but that's what we did. Uh, General Keith Kellogg? Yeah, well, I think you're all right. You're, you're, I think they're not fighting. They're not supplying them for an ability to win. I think defeating Russia by the Ukrainians would change the dynamics in Europe for the next several decades, which would help us all go through with NATO and, and how we treat Russia and it'd probably cause Putin to fall. But that's a, that's a problem of the commander in chief. I mean, under the constitution, you've got a unitary commander in chief who's the president of the United States and he makes those decisions. All the advisors can advise, but this president is risk averse. He doesn't want to take it to hard choices. And to me, if you're going to be a great nation, then you have to be willing to prosecute the war to win to win a war and and we haven't done that and that's a huge mistake yeah I mean, we're, we're i think we just handcuff our military the ukrainian military when we make decisions like this you don't fight wars incrementally you fight them to win and, and i think we by the way i happen to think the united states military has forgotten we've yeah. actually forgotten about our ability to turn up turn fail general thank you unfortunately we have a hard break i hope you write that book and everybody, we continue after the break. Cats and Cosby coming up. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby are continuing now being joined by AM 970 The Answer at like 5 o'clock. And, uh, well, Curtis is shaking his head. Yeah, he's already shaking we his head. We have a new guest. Uh, <laughs> have, uh, that Curtis. red beret is swinging back and forth. <laughs> we have Curtis Sliwa. I thought maybe you had traded me to Curtis. AM 970 The Answer. <laughs> That's next four week. Years. <laughs> now, uh, Curtis, uh, so many problems in the streets of New York. Uh, a uh, at CVS was it CVS last night? Somebody yep. died. Forty ninth and Broadway. It's the, open the all night. Before, the week before on Seventy Second Street and uh, and Park Avenue. Uh, I understand uh, between First and Second, a doorman got slashed. I almost got his jugular vein. Yeah, right. Uh, right down to his. And, and there's uh, some people are saying, you know what? Some people are saying that New York is getting safer. Well, I don't What's know who they evaluation? are. If you're out in the streets or the subways or the parks, you see that that's uh, not true at all. Look. Well, it, all I know is we're, we're not closing our stores at midnight anymore because nobody will walk to the stores at right. 10, 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> right. And everything's locked up, even if you go to the store. Right. Look, at, look at a, two, uh, two ways of looking at this. 90,000 packages a day get stolen when delivered in New York City which is a license to steal. Nobody ever gets prosecuted. So imagine if you just made arrests one-fourth of those cases, the uh, crime rate would be astronomical. So what's DAs won't prosecute, police won't arrest, and the companies that send the packages, they suck it up, and they send you a new package. 90,000 packages a day. I saw it the other day, 39th and 7th. There were four Federal Express trucks lined up. And I saw these buzzards and vultures waiting on the corner. And I said to the FedEx guy, 
you know, they're going to steal the packages. Oh, yeah, they follow us. And whenever we can't get completely into a building, we have to leave it in the foyer of the building. They take the packages. There's nothing we could do. I said, do you have them arrested? Cops don't come. Obviously, we're told, go ahead, just continue to deliver. So if you're allowing people to openly steal packages, and then you know they can go into a CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, uh, and uh, Dwayne Reed, and steal with impunity, just walk in, fill up their bags, walk out. Mm-hmm. Remember, just last week, in Astoria, of all places, a guy comes in with a blowtorch, 2.30 in the <laughs> afternoon, because, you know, they have things locked up mm-hmm. now. And he blowtorches open everything, and he just fills up his bags. He did it in two locations. Oh, my God. No consequences. And by the way, this guy, the CVS case, uh, the guy was there a couple days before shoplifting. So the the clerk recognized him. He was a serial shoplifter. Serial shoplifter. How about the case in Colorado, too, Curtis? Because there's this case in Colorado where the guy was filming the shoplifters walking out, like loading up. It was like laundry detergent or something. Yeah, Tide. Tide liquid, which goes quickly, as you know, John. People, boy, you can move tight. You can move Hagen Dodge like within seconds. But not Ben and Jerry's. No uh, one's taking that. Well, <laughs> if you gave it free, it's like Bud Light. Give away a few cases of Bud Light for free. Watch, they'd be drinking that too. But the point is, you're right. This former uh, member of the United States military, he was a military police officer. Yeah. He's now working security for the supermarket. He follows them. He says, what? You know, the economy isn't that bad. Do you really have to do this? And they're just loading it up in the back of their SUV. And then he rips off the, a covering of the Colorado license plate. He films that. He does a great job. He yeah, gets they, fired. They get the guys. And they get That's the right. guys as a result of his video. He gets fired. And what's right. the explanation uh, for firing him? The supermarket says we don't want our personnel doing any kind of physical in- intervention. Once they get out of the store, that's it. Let them go. Tell us the name of the supermarket so we could short the stock. I believe it was Kroger's. <laughs> I believe it was Kroger's. Short the stock. Uh, and you know, Kroger's is all over the United States. But they have adopted a policy now which is let them steal. And all that encourages is more stealing. It's like when you go in the subway and you watch fare evasion. After a while, you say, why am I paying the fare? Everybody else, it's the Irish sweepstakes. They're going over the turnstile, under the turnstile, through the gate, and it just encourages more. Zero tolerance. And we don't have zero tolerance in this city now. By the way, did you see this story? Uh, I think, John, you and I were talking about this earlier. City Council. It's a, a digital press aid at city, city Council. It comes out now. Uh, said that um, during the, you know, summer of love, if you will, of 2020, I would like to be on the record that I would like to allow you all to throw more bottles at cops and torch more vans. She's yep. a communications officer for the New York City yeah, Council. Yeah, she's really communicating loud and clear. For the Speaker of the City Council, which I said in that article, birds of a feather flock together. Of course, they're going to want people who think just like them, who want to defund the police, remove the police, and throw Molotov cocktails at them. And she originally comes from whose Democratic Club in Bay Ridge? Justin Brennan. That's why we got to elect Harry Kagan. Get rid of all these cop haters. Get rid of them. Before we let you go, Chris, we have a really important story here. Uh, McDonald's is launching a $200 wedding package. They're now starting to cater at McDonald's. You were a manager at McDonald's. Oh, my God. And I've also been a serial marrier. You know, things that I... (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of common there. (laughs) There's a lot. All I want to know is how many big... We know who to ask about this. How many Big Macs do you get in that package? 
package, right? Do you get Happy yeah. Meals or the uh, the Hamburglar? They when add I, the Cinnabon <laughs> or something like that. They add some Cinnabon. You know what? The, 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 uh, <laughs> the McDonald's that I managed in the Bronx on East Fordham and Webster, they were supposed to have Ronald McDonald come because the kids love that, the parents. It was so bad, the crime, that they sent the Hamburglar, and everybody <laughs> loved the Hamburglar. That was their role model. I'm telling you, give me that information again, just in case I'm down on my luck. Instead of White Castle with the belly busters, <laughs> you are not getting maybe married I again. can upscale, right, to Mickey D's. You are not getting married again. No, no, this again. is the keeper, right. Nancy. This is the keeper. I can't afford it. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Curtis. Have a good weekend. Can we start a collection for Curtis, please? Yes, a GoFundMe. <laughs> right. <laughs> for the next one, right? For McDonald's, 200 I'll chip in for 200 okay. if I'll match you 200 All right, there you go. you got two more weddings. All right. And we are also talking so much today here on Cats and Cosby about what's going on with the Hunter Biden probe, cocaine. Boy, there is so much news going on. Uh, and joining us now to talk about a lawsuit that they filed, which is the Conservative Heritage Foundation filed against the DOJ getting records that could help maybe impact that Delaware judge who's trying to decide if there should be that sweetheart plea deal with Hunter Biden is Mike Howell with the Heritage Foundation. Mike, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Talk about this. This is a biggie. Uh, when we saw that you filed suit, and um, we had Dershowitz on the show. Mm-hmm. And remember, Judge, he was saying um, that some organization should try to file That's, suit. Well, fundamentally, they need to put papers in to get to the court's attention that there's, there are very good reasons why the judge should stay going along with his plea bargain. If I was still on the bench, I would never accept that plea bargain. There are too many questions. Mike, go ahead. Wow. Well, I have to agree with Mr. Dershowitz because that's why we did it. So several months ago, uh, we filed for this information, which means we're in the front of the line when this stuff kind of blew up. So we sued as soon as the plea deal was announced. We want basically all of the records that relate to this uh, guy Weiss, who worked for the Department of Justice, who was supposed to be this independent you know, prosecutor who Garland would never interfere with and who would have complete you know, latitude to to charge Hunter Biden fairly. Uh, that's clearly not the case. Whistleblowers went to the House of Representatives, said, uh, no, DOJ was basically putting the handcuffs on Weiss, not letting them charge Hunter, was leaning on him for the sweetheart plea deal. And so we want all of the communications between Weiss and the DOJ to prove, you know, what the whistleblowers have alleged. And they also alleged this sworn under oath. So it's already very credible. So we're basically uh, facing this July 26th deadline. That's where uh, the plea deal will be signed off or not by a judge. Our argument is, with the current state of weaponization and the complete lack of public trust in the Department of Justice, the American people deserve this information to be out to see for themselves uh, what this plea deal is about, because we don't know what's in it. It very well could be that they basically get Hunter Biden a slap on the wrist for you know tax and drug crimes and then absolve him of all his other crimes, namely an international corruption pay-for-play scheme involving his father. I mean, we're talking about a major event on the 26th for, you know, the, the state of American democracy and freedom if they just allow this plea deal to go through, and we're not going to let it happen. Absolutely. We're talking to Mike Howell with the Heritage Foundation. Judge Richard Weinberg? Mike, I will tell you right now, this judge is under no obligation to take that plea deal, number one, and number two, he is under no obligation to do the plea deal on the time frame being pushed by the Department of Justice. 
He can take a sweet time, wait for an investigation, get more information, and then decide whether or not to take it. And if I was still on the bench as a trial judge, I would say, I will not take this. I want more information. So, Mike, how do you get this information that you, let's say, you've discovered? How do you get it into the record in in the court? What's your standing? Here's here's how we'll do it. Our standing is under the Freedom of Information Act, uh, which basically is an administrative process. But under this administration particularly, you have to be able to sue with attorneys and all to cover the court costs to get information out. So we build a team at the Heritage Foundation to do just that. There's not much of on the right of groups that can actually do this type of stuff. So we have a legal right to this information. It's not protected because the investigation is over. Usually information is protected during the investigation. But here they already decided to charge him, meaning investigation over. So they got to give us the info. We're going to get in front of a separate judge who's different than the one overseeing the plea deal. And we're telling this judge that she should order the DOJ to produce this information to us before the 26th so we can get that information out in front of the other judge. And also, what we we're, we're, uh, had a conversation with the Department of Justice where they said, hey, you know, like this isn't a lot of time. And we basically said, well, you can move the plea deal. That's completely within your authority. And they admitted to us so much. So we're also pressuring DOJ. Hey, if you gotta, if you say you can't gather this information in time, which is ludicrous, then move the plea deal. So we backed him into a corner. We're pushing really hard. Um, DOJ probably would have been able to stonewall Congress up until the 26th because Congress can't get in front of a court that fast. It takes months and months and months. We are very fortunate that our litigation investigative team was smart enough earlier this year to basically already request this information. So we passed all of the timelines. And we're ready to get into court with standing as soon as this was announced. So that's what things are. Wow. Uh, so are you confident? Uh, if you're a betting man, what do you think? Oh, well, I am a betting man and I'm betting on us. I mean, that's why we're <laughs> doing this. Um, and so, look, we got a great judge. We got a, uh, uh, a judge that we think is very, very fair. We think the facts and the law are on our side. And when those two things are on your side, uh, you're in the best possible position. Obviously, we know. This is a corrupt administration that has weaponized the Department of Justice. So they're going to fight like heaven and hell, you know, to not release any of this information. So I've just, I just got and, some breaking news. Oh, wait, from, hang on, hold on. From the Daily Mail. And you, usually the Daily Mail gets all the Yeah, gossip. they have some good stuff. Uh, it says DOJ considers delaying Hunter Biden's plea. Uh, plea deal. Hearing. Oh, that's interesting. Did you hear that, Mike? That DOJ is considering. That's interesting that John was just saying. Yeah, that's an article about our lawsuit, actually. If you, if you scroll down, you'll see our lawsuits printed in full on that. If you're on Twitter, go to at Oversight PR, letters PR. We post that article right there, and you can check out the lawsuit. Uh, it's about what I just mentioned, how the DOJ admitted to us that they could move the plea deal. This isn't set in stone. Uh, it's up to the DOJ to move it if they so wish. So there's no excuse for them to, to rush this through. If they do rush it through without releasing the documents to the public, they're already going to crater what very little public trust they have left. I mean, this is a high visibility case, especially with what's going on with the cocaine in the White House. I mean, the eyes are all over them for this. So, John, maybe they were listening to the show. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, Mike, thank you very much. Good luck. Keep us posted, please, because this is uh, this is really powerful. I, I think it absolutely needs to be looked into. Um, Mike, thank you. I hope uh, you're successful on the delay. Thank you very much. Have a great one. Thank, Thank you. you. And by the way, uh, we've all been talking about all these increase of shark attacks. 
Uh, Ed, you did a little bit of investigation for us, right? On you the bet. Increase. They're going after the bait fish and they're pulling around. You got hundreds of them out there. Ed Cox, the GOP leader and the Not shark safe expert. safe to go in the water. And the shark expert. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby, we've we, got... We, we didn't... I mean, what kind of guys are you guys? We don't have any shark music? Yeah, we need some Sharknado, remember? We were talking about Sharknado uh, yesterday. Yeah, where's, where's some, we could pull a little music while we're, while we're doing the interview here. We have Nick Clemens here who's joining us, John, from the National Park Service. Nick, why are we seeing it? You just heard, uh, Ed's deep investigation into it. Um, what about yours? As a South Shore swimmer. But these sharks only take little bites, right? Well, first, I want to thank you all for having me on your radio show to talk about what's been going on uh, the last few days uh, and obviously some incidents last summer. Uh, well, first off, um, as we all know, you listeners know, uh, we are we're in kind of the perfect spot uh, around being uh, in the Great South Bay as well as the Atlantic Ocean as a great nursery and estuary for, as your last commenter just said, you know, for bait fish. Uh, swimming, breathing around our coastline, uh, which makes us very unique along the Mid-Atlantic to have this beautiful resource right here in our backyard. The sharks, like anything else, uh, are going to be a little hungry as well as, uh, excuse me, the hungry as well as exploratory. Just like we all are, this is the summer months, you're going to have more humans uh, in the water, uh, which brings more curiosity from the younger sharks in and around our coastline. But Nick, we've seen, what is it, like five shark bites in the last like few days in Long Island. That seems, is that seem like a lot? It seems like more than, I've seen the headlines more than ever. Uh, yes, we, we've, we've seen that, uh, five shark bites uh, within our the last, over the last weekend. The opportunities are always abound, but you think about the number of people that are swimming in and around uh, that actually swimming around sharks that don't have any encounters. Uh, we have some safety tips that we definitely recommend. Yeah, no, yeah, no. What do you do? Someone told me one time, by the way, you're supposed to like have a like. I mean, you don't want to do this, but if you have a bang stick or punch him in the nose, I don't want to get that close where I've got to like punch him in the nose. But what do you do? <laughs> Well, there's a few things you can do. Uh, we definitely recommend uh, not wearing uh, any type of reflective jewelry or any type of clothing that has reflectors on it because it's like a big mirror underwater. Hey, look at me, look at me uh, situation. We want to reduce that. We want to try to not swim alone, swim in groups. Uh, it's uh, much easier for a shark to say, hey, this is a bigger object. Let me go around that thing trying to come in when we're out there on our own. And one of the most important things, don't wait out into water that you're uncomfortable in swimming in that maybe seem a little murky or deep. Uh, again, you're in the ocean. One minute you can be standing up to your waist and the wave can come through and undercut you. And now you're over your shoulder. So but, you definitely. Nick, these sharks are not uh, tiger sharks or great white sharks. These are nibbling sharks. They're different. Is that right? Yeah, we have many different types of sharks out there, but they're not the ones that people think of. Oh, these are the most aggressive ones, like, you know, the stay further north uh, uh, along our coastline uh, and like the great whites and things like that. Uh, these are, you know, sandbar sharks, anti-tiger sharks, dogfish sharks, which more eat squid and clam that may say, hey, what is this as I'm going about? You know, my feeding time, we're in the same areas, especially swimmers that are a little further out. Uh, than just getting a little more than knee deep. 
Well, great points well, for thank us. Thank you, Nick, Nick Clemens. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Two, two shark experts, Ed Cox and Nick Clemens. That's great. <laughs> and I, I understand from uh, the commissioner of police in Suffolk County, uh, Rodney Harrison, he was going to come on on Monday, uh, and they've been running drones uh, over the ocean to, uh, to check out the shark situation. And uh, we'll have a report from the Commissioner Rondi Harrison of Suffolk County on Monday. Very cool. I can't wait to hear what they're doing. That's very neat, John. Thank you. And uh, by the way, um, also coming up, we got Larry Kudlow coming up. Um, and also stick with us. We also have Michael Goodwin, Ambassador John Bolton, and Dr. Peter Mihalos. A lot more on Cats and Cosby. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, go baseball. With us right now is Eric Shuffler. He is the president of the Ferry Hawks in Staten Island. Eric, Friday night tonight, what's going on? You know, the big news for Ferry Hawks, John, is we had an amazing 4th of July my favorite holiday, so much to celebrate that we were born, raised, live in this amazing country. We had 3,000 people at the stadium, 20-minute fireworks show, best view in baseball, looking at lower Manhattan. And today we move into a doubleheader, 4 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night, Saturday, we have another fireworks show. We do fireworks every Saturday, looking out at the lower Manhattan skyline. The team's playing well. Got on the win last night, and the new season starts on Sunday. So a lot of great stuff going on on Staten Island right next to the ferry. And I understand Saturday night you have a big Star Wars. uh, Tell us about Star Wars. So we have Star Wars. We have Jedi training, lightsaber packages, performances by Star Wars reenactors. And then after that, we have fireworks. So Star Wars. Fireworks, easy access, easy parking, perfect night, and watch the ferry And, and what time does it start on Friday night and Saturday night? Tonight we play at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night we start at 6.30 with fireworks usually starting around 9, 9.15. Got it. And I'm looking forward. I'm going to come uh, this weekend, and I look forward to it, and God bless you. And listen, there's nothing like good baseball and Nathan's Frank. Nathan's Hot Dogs, baseball, hanging out with your friends and family, you know, sharing a beverage with a great view behind you, really affordable prices. It's a really nice way, fun way for a lot of people to come spend an evening. I'll see you later. Awesome. And, and, but I'm, I, I'm I love, going there later. I love, I love the stadium. It's so great. It's now, beautiful. we got Larry Kudlow, the country's leading economist, to find out what's going on. Larry Kudlow, what's going on in our economy? What do you think... Uh, the Fed is going to do. You give us the report. So I want to start with a lousy jobs report um, because it's being badly reported as usual. But you didn't get 209,000 jobs because there was 110,000 downward revision in the prior two months. So that's point number one. Actually, non-farm payrolls increased by only 99,000 jobs which is the worst number in several years. Second point, private sector jobs, which were reported as 149,000. After revisions, there was a 98,000 revision. Private sector jobs only increased 51,000. That's all. And I might add, of that, 60,000 of the total before revisions were government jobs. So what you have here, the very weak jobs report, 
even weaker for the private sector, which is obviously the engine of growth, the Bidens notwithstanding. Uh, very weak manufacturing, very weak construction. And there's no reason for the Federal Reserve to raise rates. They will raise rates, John. They're going to raise rates until the last job is gone. (laughs) Until the end of our uh, country. Uh, And we we talked about it at dinner the other night. And and the fact is that uh, uh, the rate, my opinion was they should drop it a point uh, because you got to stimulate our economy. And and if we can, if we can keep oil at $68 because the Saudis and Russia are trying to raise it on us. Well, I would, I would leave the rates where they are. I okay. would leave the Fed target rate just where it is. Uh, I would, by the way, cut tax rates and cut regulations, but that ain't going to happen under this happen. administration. But that's the best way for growth. But the point is, I can just see Jay Powell. It's like my wife tells me she closes the kitchen lights. She says the kitchen is closed. He's going to be the last guy to turn the economic light down. And I don't know why he feels that he has to do this. But he feels he has to do this because that's what his brilliant economists are telling him. All I want to say is today was a very poor jobs report. And the president's trying to out there sell Bidenomics, but it's going to be a very tough sell. People know that. And incidentally, the inflation rate is still sticky and uh, wages did not go up enough to beat inflation. So that's another problem. Middle class people, working folks are still going to be underwater and living standards. Walmart Walmart made a big announcement after I made the announcement last Monday, Walmart, that the uh, food prices are not going down. Well, that's interesting. That's one reason why, look, the Fed should keep shrinking their balance sheet, but leave the interest rates alone and leave the dollar strong. You know, a strong dollar will help you on lower oil prices and commodity prices, and actually uh, food, raw material prices. So we need a strong dollar, but you can get a strong dollar without destroying the economy. In fact, if you just you don't want to destroy the economy. So we'll have to see about that. But um, uh, Bidenomics is not my cup of tea. I, 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 I agree 100%. I'd rather do you know, uh, no cut Yes. No disrespect to the president. It's not personal, but it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, I'll call it Cat's Cudlow Economics. How's that? <laughs> well, Larry Cudlow, have a good weekend. I'm going to be listening you. to you. You're on in, uh, to between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock on every Saturday on WABCradio.com, uh, on uh, Alexa. Alexa. Uh, just say play 77 WABC or on your iPhone on the app at 77WABC. But, Larry, I'll be listening to you tomorrow. I want to find out the rest of the story. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, let's take a break, and uh, let's uh, – are we going to come back with Ambassador Bolton right we after do. that? I like Cudlowonomics. That had a better ring than, I, than Bidenomics. Listen, he is one smart guy. He uh, he has studied for a long time. He's seen the, he's seen the ups. He's seen the downs. What about catonomics? Well, you know, uh, it's got a nice ring, don't I you think? Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget, I was a college dropout. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine how yeah. successful you would have been if you had finished. Yeah, college. if only, yes. if only. Let's go to that break. You're commuting home. 
with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back, John, here on Katz and Cosby. Um, by the way, um, before we go to Ambassador John Bolton, it's been 100 days uh, since Evan Gerskovich, the Wall Street Journal reporter, has been held in Russia behind you know, uh, in, behind, up, uh, in jail, charges, in prison. Trumped up charges. And what I'm afraid of, Rita, is what they're going to try to do is get another terrorist out. Because all they have to do is grab an American citizen, hold them hostage, and we give up somebody who's very valuable. We gave up one of the great arms dealers in the world. Yeah, the merchant of death. For, for a basketball. By player. the way, some breaking news. Victor, one about boot. One of Obama? Let's say, hang on. Security guard will not be charged for slapping Britney Spears. Oh, this was, this I think this important. was a basketball player. <laughs> this is something important. Yeah, that's big you news. Bet. Wow. That's, that, that's, that, that's, that's like. It's important news. Why don't we go to Ambassador Bush? Is that like me asking Curtis about a McDonald's weddings? Is that yeah. like. <laughs> same, same value. Same value. Uh, let's go to Ambassador But it was John a good Bolton. point, Your Honor. It was. Which one? Both of them. All of them were, right? Um, Ambassador John Bolton, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you know, obviously we're talking a lot about what's going on. First, Russia, Ukraine. Big news. Um, and the reason I was bringing up Evan Gerskovich, um, because there's so much attention on Russia, Ukraine. It just came out. Um, like about two hours ago, that the U.S. is going to allow cluster bombs in Ukraine, that they're going to be selling them to Ukraine. Uh, what do you think that means? Well, I think it's an excellent idea. It, we should have done it before the Ukrainians have been asking for it. You know, this is this is another example of the cycle of the Biden administration giving aid to Ukraine. They're asked for something. Their first reaction is no. Uh, then they think about it. Then they decide to do it. But well after it might have been effective. Now, you know, the the thing about cluster bombs is that the high minded in the United States and Europe think cluster bombs are bad things. Our military has never believed that we have used cluster bombs. The American military has used cluster bombs to great effect in protecting our troops uh, and in impeding the enemy. And uh, the Ukrainians know that. And that's why they've asked for him. So let, let's not shed any tears over this. Uh, every country and we should participate in this has an obligation to clean up the battlefield after the war is over to protect innocent civilians. I'm sure the Ukrainians will do that. We should help them out. But right now, the question is not what happens after the war. The question is who wins the war? And cluster cluster munitions, I think, will aid the Ukrainians. You know, we still haven't given them, um, you know, the F-16s. There's still so many of these things. Um, I mean, it, we just we were talking with uh, General Keith Kellogg uh, just a little bit ago, and he's said he wants to write a book called War for Dummies, by the way, that the Biden administration has handled this. Well, they've never had a strategy from the beginning. And, and strategy in, in conceptual terms is not hard. You decide your objectives and then you decide what resources you need to achieve them. The Biden administration has never done that in Ukraine. We've got a long list of weapon systems we've supplied uh, but but not all at the same time and not in a way that will make them effective. Now, hopefully these munitions of which the United States has ample supplies in its armories uh, can be delivered quickly and, and applied on the battlefield where, where I think the Ukrainian military can really uh, use them to get through the tough defenses that the Russians have built up in the eastern part of their country. Ed, your thoughts about where this goes now? Yeah, uh, the... <laughs> What do you think the vision of uh, the White House is here with respect to Ukraine? Do you think they have any at all or is it just uh, escalation piece by piece, 
Uh, are they really headed towards negotiations or do they really want to win? Well, you know, there's been a, a speaking of news breaks, this uh, revelation in the past 24 hours or so that uh, unofficial Americans, many former officials of both Republican and demonstration administrations have been in conversation with uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, other Russians, perhaps uh, also private citizens to talk about what negotiations would look like. Now, uh, I know the people involved. I've, I've seen the names in the, in the, in the newspapers. Uh, the Americans, I am convinced that they would not have uh, gone to the Russians or accepted a Russian approach if they hadn't cleared it with the White House. And the signal that that sends to Russia is the Americans are looking to negotiate. Their resolve is weakening. Exactly. Uh, and if we exactly. can just hold off, if we can just hold off this Ukrainian spring offensive, then we can get to negotiations and we can achieve diplomatically what Russian combat forces have failed to achieve militarily. It worried me more than any military development I've seen in the war. So that leads, do you think the Ukrainians then know that they've got to make this counteroffensive work? Do you think it will? Do you think they, with cluster bombs and that's about all they got, they're not going to get the long-range uh, attackmas, attackmas. So right. with what they got, do you think they, they, can, uh, they can succeed? Well, you know, uh, our military observers are confident. Uh, they've spent a long time training uh, their Ukrainian counterparts. They think morale is high. I agree with that. Uh, but the Russians are very well dug in. And I think it's uh, the stakes are high for the Ukrainians. I, I wish expectations weren't so high. Um, but but it's uh, they're you know, they're 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 proceeding as they've been trained to do. Uh, we're told their best units have not yet been committed. We don't know whether the whole Prigozhin affair uh, has uh, weakened the concentration and morale of the Russian forces. And now, you know, we, again, we've heard in the past uh, couple of days, Prigozhin may be back in Russia, not in Belarus, where he was supposed to go. So that that affair isn't over yet. And that could be having an effect on uh, Russian troops. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Too. Ambassador, it's, it's Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. What's the impact if he is, in fact, back in Russia? What is that about? Well, you know, your guess is as good as mine. I, this this guy, I think, has a screw loose. I mean, that's my my uh, professional psychological judgment on him. Uh, I think if if he was really concerned about his own physical safety, he ought to be heading toward Brazil, not toward Moscow. Uh, it may be he's going to try and link up with remaining uh, Wagner Group forces that have not been disarmed or or. Uh, reintegrated with the regular military. They certainly haven't turned up in Belarus. I mean, you have reporters walking through the tents that were prepared for them. There's nobody there. So the, the, this, the situation inside Russia remains very unclear. We're right back where we were, I think, a couple of weeks ago. We just don't really have enough information at this point to have a clear judgment. You know, I want to ask you, Ambassador Bolton, this story uh, that came out, there's a story basically saying that World War Three will be fought with viruses, um, and a cyber attack. Uh, do you agree? I mean, sort of uh, where sort of the next major war could come from? Right. And, and by viruses, you mean biological. Or yes. yes. Computer yes. viruses, although cyber would be part of any war. <laughs> Look, and I've spent a lot of time in my career on weapons of mass destruction, nuclear, chemical and biological. And in, in that in that trade, they call chemical and biological weapons the poor man's nuclear weapon. Easier to get, uh, uh, obviously uh, less expensive, but potentially just as as deadly. And, and we've seen really uh, a dress rehearsal of what a biological weapons attack could look like in the coronavirus, the epidemiology of 
of a pandemic and a and a BW attack are very similar. Look, look what that did to our country, and and probably that was at, you know just a leak from the Wuhan laboratory. But the Chinese and our other adversaries have learned a lot about the weaknesses we have uh, in dealing to a BW attack. And and remember, it might also it might not necessarily be against humans. It could be against our food supply too. Wow. Uh, well, uh, former Ambassador John Bolton, thank you so much. Uh, we really Glad appreciate be you, you being on. Have a great weekend, thank Ambassador. You, John, take care. Thank you. And by the way, there was a new study out uh, that cannabis, uh, yet another study, because there's been a whole bunch of them, uh, basically are str- is strongly linked to mental disorders. Um, and it's basically a bombshell showing some very serious mental illnesses, mental disorders that come from those who use cannabis. Joining us to talk about that and a lot more is our resident genius, Dr. Peter Mihalos. Uh Dr. Mihalos, your reaction to this? Well, we're not really surprised. Uh, about, about a year and a half ago, we talked about this on Cats uh, and Cosby, where we discussed that cannabis and some of the newer forms that are laced with K2 not only are associated with depression and bipolar disorder, but a study from Duke University showed that it even has epigenetic damage, which means damage that's generationally transmitted to the DNA uh, of a male sperm. So uh, there was also a study that it may be associated with autism, that people uh, who smoke cannabis, that their children will have a higher incidence of autism. So everybody thinks these are benign. When I used to work in the prison system at Rikers Island, Everyone had the same story that cannabis was their introductory drug into the world of drug use. And then they graduated to more and more uh, higher forms of drugs that uh, they weren't satisfied with the high they got from cannabis. And now it's being smoked freely on the street. You can smell it. And I know people who are going for drug tests because they were concerned because they are exposed to it constantly on the street. And some people are testing positive who've never smoked cannabis in their lives. So we're going to be hearing more and more, and we're going to see more car accidents, and it affects your judgment. And the problem is there's no breathalyzer test right now for measuring cannabis, so we're going to be seeing more DW high cases, and it's going to be associated with more. Uh, how, how would you like cannabis. a crane operator to be uh, high on? Uh, yeah, or a doctor? Or or, 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 or your guy who drives your bus well, or uh, runs a subway car? Let me ask car? you a silly question. Uh, for or your surgeon. For the, for the lawyers in the, in the, in the group, you got three lawyers opposite us, and uh, I feel safe. You feel safe. <laughs> and how about uh, Ed Cox? I mean, uh, how about the people that don't want to uh, smell uh, cannabis? Uh, well, you know, they, they, they have can rules. They, can they, in theory, in theory, start a class action suit uh, against the? The, the people that legalized it. I think you can do that with secondhand smokes and cigarettes. Why not from cannabis? Well, yeah, cigarettes, you know, people don't realize the person sucking it off the filter is actually getting less toxins than the person in the room. That's why people with macular degeneration have a fourfold increased incidence when they just live with a smoker because you're getting the smoke right off the tip of the cigarette. The person sucking it off the filter, actually, it's not as bad as the person in the room. Secondhand smoke, in my opinion, is a medical assault on your future health. And we know that smokers live seven years less than the rest of the population. And that's uh, just a fact. And then the other thing, uh, 
we were going to talk about is the uh, exciting news about a new drug approved for Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, tell us real quick, if you could, about that, Peter. Okay, sure. Well, basically, uh, one in four people over 80 in the world, that's over 50 million now in the world, have Alzheimer's. And this new drug is given IV every two weeks. And it seems to slow the progression of this uh, brain metabolic and inflammatory material that's the waste product in the brain called amyloid. And it basically slows it down and blocks it. And people uh, got better. In the U.S., we have 6.7 million adults with uh, Alzheimer's. So that's a big step, but it's fully FDA approved. Uh, The improvement is somewhat there. And there are other natural things, too, that uh, there are other studies that are published where good old coconut oil called MCT oil, which feeds the brain ketones, seems to also help slow down cognitive decline. And we're going to be hearing a lot more about that, which is a natural way to slow down cognitive decline by feeding your brain these uh, ketones. Our brain represents 2% of the weight of the body, but uses up 16% of the oxygen and a lot more energy than some of the other organs. And I know some people who uh, barely use their brain, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) 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 Dr. Peter Mihalos, we love you. Thank you. Always give us such great information. Thank you. Thanks for getting the truth out and keeping our audience healthy. Thank you, Dr. All right, what do we have? Are we taking a break? Are we going to? We got a break, and then we got Michael Goodwin, a New York Post columnist who's got a whole bunch of stuff on the cocaine in the White House and the Hunter Biden investigation. A lot more. You definitely want to stick with us, everybody. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, this is where you get the most information you can get in an hour. Uh, what did we tweet out yesterday? The most information you can get in an hour anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And the best guests and the best folks in studio, too. With and some the most qualified. Background. Absolutely. You have a, a judge, uh, uh, and uh, they, they headed the GOP for 10 years, and, and uh, the, a governor, a Democratic governor, a Republican. With a nice shirt on, too. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Where can you get this much information? Yeah, absolutely. Abs- and you, too, my goodness, a best-selling author. So that they were doing, we're doing great at, at an Uber businessman. And, and how about your two award-winning books? Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. I, I'm I'm just trying to keep up with John. If I can do one tenth of it or one percent of it, I'm doing okay. Well, joining us now to talk about all these big developments, John, that are going on in the news. Everybody talking about the cocaine at the White House. Um, and just a little bit ago, the White House uh, came out and said, "Well." Uh, it, don't worry if it was near the situation room because the situation room was under construction. It's like the story keeps changing and twisting. And joining us now is the great New York Post Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, Michael Goodwin. Uh, Michael, your take on, on the like, how many, like 10 different stories we're hearing now from the White House. Yeah, good evening, Rita. Uh, look, I, I thought the uh, the press conference today was shameful. I don't know why Karine Jean-Pierre doesn't just say no to the question which was posed uh, from a New York Post reporter. Uh, was this, did this cocaine belong to one of the Bidens? Was it a member of the president's family? And she gave every answer possible except yes or no. Uh, she talked about how it's offensive and it's a, well, then just say no if it's not true. Why don't, why can't you say it's not true? Uh, that is, that is quite unnerving, frankly, that she was not able to say no. Uh, you would think that would be something she would be eager to say, but she acted as though the, the mere question was an affront to the dignity of the family. I, 
I'm sorry that, that, that you're digging the hole deeper there. Yeah, and for some reason, uh, they won't even come out and say that they would prosecute someone. Uh, it's an illegal drug in the White House. Uh, they keep switching the story. You know, it was in the library. Now it was near the Situation Room. Now don't worry about that. It's like, I mean, it shouldn't be a mystery, Michael. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it, you know, if you can't give a clean, clear answer, then you what you are doing is raising suspicions that you are hiding the truth. And everything they have done, as you say, from moving the location of it, I think this is at least the third. First, there was an area where all the visitors store their cell phones when they come to a tour of the White House. And then it was uh, in one room, and now it's close to the Situation Room. Why are they feeding the sense that they're hiding something? I mean, that's just – that's the – you know, public relations 101. Absolutely. We're talking to Michael Goodwin, uh, Governor Patterson. Michael, I've never been happier to hear from you in my life because I've always felt never ascribe a motive to what a incompetence would explain. And it's really, <laughs> it's really just that these people are over their heads doing these jobs. I mean, there had to be a way to answer that question. No. Uh, but I, we resent that you would even, uh, uh, you know, ask that question, something like that. But something quick, not something that's going to actually uh, cause more problems than it solves. Uh, David, I well said. I mean, I think clarity here and brevity, right? You, you could you, you could ex, uh, express your umbrage at the question, consider it an insult, but you have to answer the question. That's what you do. You're the right. press secretary. You answer the question. Actually, the dispatcher here said, and is quoted as saying, that cocaine, EMS found cocaine in the library. There's only one library in the White House. And it's connected directly with the elevator that takes people up to the to the personal second and third floor. And that was the first and, report. And, and they want to avoid that. And the, the proof's going to be there because a person, EMS person who found it, is going to have to testify sometime. And they're trying to get away well, from that right. because that connects it with the personal quarters, right, in the White House. Well, that, well and you're right, Ed, because uh, I think Comer of oversight. Uh, is already talking about bringing in somebody from the Secret Service, I presume, uh, who would have to testify about the facts. So, again, why create this? Why create this suspicion? This is a this could have been a one day story. What are we now on the fourth day? Um, and there's no they don't seem e- either eager or willing or know how to put it to rest. Michael, it's Richard Weinberg, which raises the question. Why are they playing this game? Uh, the governor, who I have a great deal of affection and respect for, thinks is incompetence. I, coming from a different school of thought, think there's a motivation here. And what's that motivation? Maybe they know the answer and they don't want to be clean on it. I don't know. Well, that, that's – by the way they're behaving, you, you do begin to suspect that they are not being straight. And again, that's – the whole reason why you are straight. Look, you know, it's not easy being a presidential press secretary. It's not something I'd ever want to entertain for a moment of my life. But one thing I think we've all learned from watching everything over the last 40 or 50 years of televised press conferences is the shorter, most direct, most honest answers are best. And when you open yourself to suspicion that you're hiding something, 
the end is near because people will just like bloodhounds, they will pick up on that scent that you are hiding something. And then, you know, what is the cover up is worse than the crime. Uh, That's where we seem to be going here. Wow. You know, I want to also ask you, Michael Goodwin, um, you have an analysis also of where you think the whole Hunter Biden investigation in general. We're talking about these allegations of the money, the bribery, all that stuff that's being looked into uh, by Comer, also Jason Smith, also Jim Jordan. Give us a sense of the timing of this, because it sounds like it's going to be smack in the middle of campaign season. Well, you know, the Republicans have been at it, right? They've had the majority in the House for just about six months now, not quite. Uh, And I think they've made remarkable progress in the Hunter Biden slash Joe Biden family business model. And I I believe the IRS whistleblowers was a game-changing event. The the testimony uh, that they were provi- uh, prohibited by the Justice Department from pursuing the case and search warrants and from anything having to do with Joe Biden really smacks of a cover up. And the investigators said as much that they have never seen a case where all of the protections were of, uh, given to the suspect instead of to the investigators, all all the tiebreakers went to protect the suspects from any investigation, search warrants, etc. So I believe that day is over. And I believe, they, again, the Republicans in the House will continue to press this case. They will probably, we know they're going to call Devin Archer, uh, a, a former partner of Hunter Biden's, who's going to prison on a different case. Uh, that the Bidens were not involved in, which is kind of surprising. <laughs> How did they miss that one? Um, <laughs> but he's going to testify. Now, of course, Hunter's lawyers will try to besmirch him and impugn his character uh, because he is a convicted felon. Um, nonetheless, uh, these are these are dam- damaging things for the Bidens, I would assume. And, I, I, you know, I, I see it this way, Rita, that that there's a two-track thing going on here about Joe Biden's political future. One is his poll numbers are terrible. Country wants change. Country wants somebody new. His own party doesn't want him to run again. A majority of his own party doesn't want him to run again. Um, Meanwhile, so he's got, that's one track. The other track is is this case against Hunter the favored treatment, the issue of Joe's involvement, the WhatsApp message, I'm sitting here with my father and he demands money from a Chinese businessman uh, or he threatens him. Uh, and meanwhile, we have Joe saying I was in, never had a conversation about any of this. So these two tracks, the general performance and the and the case, I think they're going to meet at some point. I think they, they're going, the case is going to severely impact his political future, and I think probably end it. Wow. Very yep. powerful statement. Uh, Michael Goodwin, you're terrific. Thank you for being with us. Have a great weekend, Michael Goodwin, and uh, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you all. Thank, thank you. you, Michael. Well, what a show. What a show. What an action-packed week it has been. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America.